welcome to this special series of podcasts from KPMG's Management Consulting Group. My name is Stan Peak. I manage the podcast program and also head up market research for the global KPMG Management Consulting Group. What we're going to be talking about today in this series of podcasts was recorded shortly after the changeover in the United States presidential administration is the impact of the new administration and some of its proposed policies on the use of third-party services. During any governmental shift, there's a lot of proposed legislation, and it's very important that organizations reflect upon that and do their advanced planning and due diligence to address what are the potential ramifications. Although I would say at this point, it's still very early in the U.S. administration. But what I wanted to talk about in these podcasts with David Brown, who's the global lead of KPMG's Shared Services and Outsourcing Advisory Group, is what are things that organizations should be doing to prepare to respond respond to and be aware of potential changes to immigration policies, the use of onshore and offshore shared services and outsourcing, and what that might mean in terms of either accelerating or taking a holding pattern or pulling back on investments into process automation and digital labor. Thank you for joining us for this series and certainly stay tuned. There's a lot of news still to come on these topics. And I'm pleased to have back with us again today, Mr. David Brown. David is a principal in the U.S. firm. He leads the U.S. Shared Services and Outsourcing Advisory Practice and also heads up the Global SSOA Center of Excellence. Dave, thanks for joining us here again on Advice Worth Keeping. We have an interesting and very timely topic to talk about today, and that's what's been going on in the U.S. market relative to the recent election and a lot of the discussion around potential changes to immigration, changes to the use of offshore labor. It's being driven out of the U.S., but it certainly will have a global impact in terms of firms that are placing their operations in far-flung countries, utilizing resources that are coming from places like India and the Philippines. The U.S. instigated set of events, but has global ramifications. And just to clarify here, we're talking about the world of services, so business and IT services, not manufacturing. A lot of rhetoric going on, and obviously, it's very early to tell what's really going to happen, particularly from a policy standpoint or a tax standpoint, but we think it's important to make sure clients are thinking ahead on this. Maybe just to start out, what do you think is the potential impact the new administration could have on the sourcing of services and the placement of services and service centers. Oh, thanks, Dan. And I'm glad to be back with you talking about this topic. Clearly, it's a topic there. It's front and center. It's all over social media, and it's in the boardroom. And I think one of the things that you mentioned was the difference here that we're going to talk about is on the services side versus manufacturing. And you're seeing probably more around the manufacturing and social media than services, but it's going to have the same impact. And I think we should also be clear that this is some speculation on what this presidency is actually going to be able to put into policy versus folks getting a bit of a jump on what those potential policies may have an effect on the organization. Definitely a couple things that we're seeing already and that are going to impact these outsourcing and offshoring delivery models for our companies is the regulations, the immigrations around H-1B visas. We're also going to see potentially some tax incentives bringing jobs within the U.S. or creating jobs within the U.S. And I think those two have very different impacts on what organizations are going to need to do. When we look at the H-1B visas, the restriction of those does have a couple different impacts to U.S. companies. First thing that it does, obviously, is limit a talent pool that's already limited to begin with. And what it actually could potentially cause U.S 
resources to replace the H-1B visa resources is a good thing, right? You're going to see some increase in some job opportunities for some U.S. employees, but it also will have some impact on the salary that's actually also paid for those that have historically been paid by offshore resources coming onto U.S. soil and actually doing those jobs for less money. So I think you're going to see a little bit of an increase that's happening on there. On the flip side, we also are expecting to see a little bit of an increase in outsourcing or offshoring model because of the limitations of H-1B visa. Corporations are still going to be looking for those resources, but because they're not going to be able to get H-1B visas, they will look at that talent pool within offshore locations like India and the Philippines. So we may actually see a little bit of a resurgence of some of that offshoring model to combat the limited resources or limited visas they're going to be able to bring onto the U.S. And then tax incentives that potentially will come through to be able to repatriate jobs back into the U.S. And that's starting to take place on the manufacturing side, as you mentioned, Stan, but companies are looking at it from a services side as well, looking at their call centers or looking at their back offices and being able to actually bring those back in. What kind of tax incentives will the U.S. provide to them by doing that? So I see two immediate things that people need to start looking at, you know, what kind of impacts those two are going to have on their organization. I think you raised some great points. So, for example, on the one of firms looking possibly at just establishing the operations offshore rather than bringing in the labor, there's been some talk and rhetoric around placing restrictions on that, but I think that could be very difficult to do. Certainly, there's been no legislation yet, so we don't know. But if someone is setting up a new division or a new operation, it's not taking jobs onshore to offshore. It's just starting something up new offshore. So that could become, as you said, even more appealing. And then I think the other point around the HB1 visas from some of the early proposals are being floated is how much impact would these changes really have? For example, if the salary cap is raised to $100,000, looking at a lot of the big Silicon Valley companies that use a lot of these H-1B visa workers, they're already paying pretty close to that. So what impact would that have? And there's another stipulation that it only applies to companies that have 15% of or more of their workforce under the visa program. Some firms will take it to 14% and they'll be out of the regulatory's grasp. As with anything, there's a lot of uncertainty yet. There's also one Once anything comes out legislatively, there's always very creative people who can figure out ways to get around it. The next thing I'd like to look at is how does digital labor play into all of this? Organizations are already looking at automating more work done by humans. I would think that this could really accelerate that. The end result may be there's still less jobs because there's an acceleration of the use of automation. And I think there's a couple ways you can look at it. So there's definitely that way of looking at this as an elimination of jobs for a number of different job classifications, not just the transaction entry-level type functions, but also as we categorized white-collar type jobs. And when we get into cognitive solutions and start applying those, those jobs are jeopardy as well. But one of the things that we're starting to see our clients actually look at is those offshoring models that they initially had sent some of those entry-level and also transaction type functions to offshore locations. Those are ones that are now starting to take a look at applying digital labor to and bringing those centers back onshore. And the reason they're doing that is because the digital labor solutions are looking at removing labor, but they're fractions of individuals' functions. So there are still opportunities for jobs that are related to digital labor, but it allows them to free up and actually start looking at opportunities within the organization for retooling, reskilling, and actually creating additional value back into the organization. What we're seeing is their digital labor could potentially be a lever, not just to eliminate jobs, as you've said, but it may be a 
trigger for U.S. corporations to take a look at their offshore delivery models and maybe apply digital labor and bring back some of those FTEs that are fractional and rebuild their delivery centers in the U.S. Stand initially, a lot of U.S. corporations sent labor offshore to get the labor arbitrage. Digital labor now allows them to deploy the solutions that actually almost net-net the actual labor arbitrage savings. You can see that eliminating some of those jobs in the offshore model and then bringing them back into the U.S. actually is going to create U.S. opportunities. So that certainly sounds like something all organizations that are currently using offshore should be thinking about. Maybe to wrap up, Dave, what are the three action items that our listeners should do and do today versus waiting around to see what shakes out from the new administration and any policy that could come out of it? very first thing that corporations need to do is to reassess your service delivery model, and that's your global service delivery model. There's definitely a need to think through, given some of the potential policies that we're talking about that could be coming down, take a look at where the shift could actually be for those locations, and that includes that location strategy with your service delivery model strategy. What types of technology would you deploy to eliminate some of those labors? So what's the digital labor strategy that you're going to deploy within that as well? The second thing that they need to do is to take a look at what types of intakes incentives that are potentially there for bringing some of those jobs back into the U.S., but also take a look at what are some of the tax incentives that were put in place when they actually sent those jobs to the offshore location. So they've got to take a look at their entire tax strategy when before they're going ahead and actually making any moves on their delivery models. And then the last thing that they really need to take a look at, and, and it's really tied into their service delivery strategy, take a look at the labor market. Take a look at the skills that they need both in short term and long term to actually be able to develop out a labor force, a succession planning within their new service delivery locations if they do make a shift on that because it's going to have a tremendous impact on their ability to be not just relevant near term but a sustainable model for the future. So those would be things that they need to do immediately. They should be doing these on a regular basis anyways because there's always changes to tax policy. There's always immigration policy changes, and there's always disruptive technology that's impacting that. But we're expecting to see more of this happening today and in the next six months with the new president coming in that's going to actually start raising the questions about a lot of the things we've talked about before. Sounds like a good motivator for organizations to be doing what they probably should have been doing anyway. Yes, exactly, Sam. Great. Well, obviously a big topic, Dave. We'll have to get you back to continuing this discussion, but thanks for your time here today. And you can find the links to the items you referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash US slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation. 